Hey, it's old-timey crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Amber. And we are here with your historical true crime. A very interesting case from 1930. It... That looks crazy. <laughs> oh, okay, there it goes. Our, our audio software had an update and now everything is different and looks different and it's weird and funny and we don't like it because we don't like change. Well, do you remember that one time we recorded an episode where we sounded like the chipmunks? No, no, it was the opposite. We oh, sounded I, like we were really slow no. down. Yeah. And so, like, every time I see it going crazy, I'm like, something has fucked up, and it's it's not correct. Like, <laughs> now I'm paranoid that the bonus episodes we just recorded are bad, because there was no sign of it visually, I don't think, on the monitor while we were recording, so... It's always a, not until later that you yeah. get that fun surprise. Yeah, it is a fun surprise. <laughs> so anyhow, we have historical true crime for you, a case from 1930. And um, also over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We have tons and tons and tons of bonus episodes. I've lost count. There's so many uh, tales from the old timey newspapers. We find cases that have just been completely forgotten by history. And uh, I told Amber... Today, and this our patrons will have heard on Tuesday, I told Amber a case that weirdly paralleled the case we're going to talk about here today. Indeed. It was very strange because I picked that case out a couple weeks ago and was working on it for my tiny. And then you picked out the case for the full episode this week because it's been a long ass time since you've gotten to do that. And I looked at the case and I was like, well, that sounds really familiar because it was like, uh, almost a hundred years later, a very, very similar case. So yeah, we were we both had Cinderella on the brain. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently, it was very, very interesting. Well, you're the only human that I really like spend time with, like adult human, and so um, I, I think I'm slowly turning into you, and I'm turning into you. It's very, it's very interesting. We're just like merging into one another. Yeah, eventually we'll be one superhero, and um, we will fight. Grammar crimes all across the globe. I'm for it. I'm for it. And if we could add some time travel in there, so we could go back in time and slap some people silly that we've oh, been yeah, thinking no, about. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And there will all there there will be arson, almost guaranteed. It's just going to happen because fire is so pretty. If Amber's there, there's arson. Yes. Okay, so that's Patreon.com/slash/OldTimeyCrimey. Five bucks a month, and uh, yeah, we love our patrons very, very much. We do. So um, we are going to be talking today about. The Pearl O'Laughlin case. This was in Colorado. Now, the case itself happens in Denver, but uh, one of the main players here, uh, Leo O'Laughlin, he was born in Fort Collins. And I delved a little bit into uh, his background because his family was actually pretty um, influential there. Uh, his dad came to the community uh, in the 18, early 1880s. And just started, like, building it up. He was a plasterer, and he was... Uh, no, he was literally building it up. <laughs> literally building it up, yeah. But he was also buying properties. By, like, the early 1900s, there's an entire block in the town that's called the O'Laughlin Block. Oh. So, yeah, this is from the Fort Collins Courier. When Dennis O'Laughlin came to Fort Collins 12 years ago, his sole capital consisted in a wife and baby or two, plenty of muscle, rugged health, and a disposition to work. So it talks about his, uh, his plastering and his work there. And then today, Mr. O'Laughlin counts his material effects by the thousands. Only last week, he made a $13,000 deal with Mr. Crafts and, as a result, secured three of the choicest and most valuable business lots in the city, on one of which stands the stone building formerly used as a post office. A better citizen, a more intelligent, deeper read, or deeper read, or fully posted gentlemen on nearly all topics than Mr. O'Laughlin would be hard to find in Colorado. Now, normally we don't delve quite as much into one of the main player's parents, but he's actually going to show up. Yes. So his name is Dennis, and he's going to show up uh, in the case, ha have a, a, a decent part in it. So this, this family, the O'Laughlins, they kind of were dogged by tragedy. It's, you look at the dates of birth and death on, like, find a grave for Leo O'Laughlin's siblings, and it's just one short life after another. Um, his, uh, 
His eldest brother drowned aged nine. Six years later, his eldest sister died of diphtheria. She was 12. Then four years after that, another sister drowned at age 14. Leo actually was there when she was drowning and tried to save her and nearly drowned himself. They're not good swimmers. It's really, really bad. Um, Now, the thing is, is that they call him Dennis. Uh, His brother's middle name is Dennis. His dad's name is Dennis. I think there's just some confusion there. Of the children that I see on the list, he's the only one that could have been. And the timing works out. But this was, uh, this is pretty... Pretty horrifying, just a warning. Uh, The 11-year-old brother of Katie came very near losing his life in trying to save his sister. The girls caught hold of him and pulled him under once, but he succeeded in freeing himself from them and getting to shore. So there's just just so much horror in there. Like, I can't even imagine. His sister and her friend are drowning in, like, 10 feet of water because they got, like, sucked in or something. And they're trying to pull at him, understandably, and he has to swim away to save his life. Oh, man, that's going to mess you up for the rest of your life. And uh, speaking of messing people up, it seemed to really, understandably, mess up his mother. She ended up in the Asylum for the Insane in Pueblo after a hearing in the county court in 1897. The newspaper tells us, this case is an extremely sad one. Mrs. O'Laughlin has several small children who need a mother's constant care and attention, but who would not be safe if left in her charge. Her mind has been gradually giving way for years and has at last failed her entirely. It is sincerely hoped that her treatment at the asylum will prove efficacious and that this unfortunate lady will soon be restored to health and her family. As far as we know, uh, we have just Dennis's statement on this, that she actually died in the asylum in like 1905. So never, never got out, it would seem. Or if she did get out, she ended up back there. You, if you lose three of your children, like, I don't think there's any bouncing back from that. I don't think so either. I, I, I absolutely cannot blame her for, for any sort of... Mental you know, break. Yeah, mental break that she may have had because it was, it was well-deserved. Not deserved, but it was... <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Nobody can, nobody can falter for it. So, uh, also, uh, in the 1920s, a couple of other siblings in this family passed away. So, by the time uh, the late 1920s come around, Leo and his younger brother, Frank, are the only ones, uh, siblings of the family, remaining. Jeez. So, in 1930, he was 44, and uh, I believe, if memory serves, his brother was 39. Yes, I have that here. And so, they are actually living together in a house, his brother's kind of doing like a boarding thing. So Frank is sort of like boarding with Leo. And Leo also had a daughter, Leona. Now her mother, Maud, had died in May 1928. Leona was 10 when she lost her mother. Uh, but she gained a stepmom fairly quickly. Uh, just about seven months later, Leo married uh, a young lady named Pearl. She is 32. And uh, so this is the sort of family, in addition to her son from a first marriage, Douglas Millican, who's seven. So you have kind of a, not your standard nuclear family um, in this time period. You know, each has a child from a different marriage. That would not even be looked at askance at today, but back then, this was more unusual. Oh, yeah. Well, divorce was unusual. That too, yeah. And it seems like it was a divorce and not a death that uh, ended her relationship. And uh, that first first year or so of their marriage, year and a half, a bit rocky. They separated three times during that period. The very first time, she actually just took all the furniture and left. <laughs> and Leo was like, I guess I'm going to go find a place that has chairs and a bed. They just kept on coming back together. They would talk about divorce, but Pearl would always say if they split up, she wanted custody of Leona, his daughter. And he also said that first year or so was kind of uh, marked by a lot of supposed illness on Pearl's part, but he pretty much just thought that she was a big fat faker. And a narcissist. 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And uh, there's, we should talk a little bit about Leona here. Uh, this is from uh, the Cinemaholic. Uh, between being a 10-year-old, Leona was described as a lively and happy-go-lucky individual who loved going to school and spending time with her friends. Besides, Leona shared a wonderful bond with her father, and according to sources, the whole family appeared quite happy together. But it seems like that was definitely just surface level. This was not a super happy family. So on October 14th, do you have anything else about the family or anything before I plow ahead into uh, the case? Um, not so much. I do have some descriptions of, of them. Leona was pretty blonde hair, blue eyes. Pearl thought that she was the prettiest thing in the world. Um, she said that she was famous in her Denver neighborhood for her good looks. Huh. She was tall, slender, redhead, big brown eyes, what she thought was a charming smile, I'm certain. So she basically thought she was just like the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs> she loved herself very, very much. <laughs> so in this situation, we, uh, we stumble into the month of October. And uh, October 14th, 1930, Leona goes missing. So Leo was at work. Uh, he was a police detective for the uh, the Denver Police Department. He had eaten and then uh, headed off to the department. And then the timeline is a little murky on what happens. It seems like he came home sick and asked Pearl to check on Leona. But Pearl wouldn't even go into Leona's room to see if she was in bed. So, like, refused to even walk into that room. So Leo's symptoms at first seemed kind of influenza-like. He was admitted to the hospital. Pearl also was a little bit ill. She had symptoms of potomane poisoning, but uh, got over it within a day. Douglas was okay. Um, really, the main difference between him and the rest of the family, who all got ill, was that he hadn't eaten dinner with them. Pearl had served rice for dinner, but she told him that he'd had enough to eat. Yes, yes. So they had, and, and there's two variations of this. They either had lamb or fish. So he had the meat and he had potatoes, but he did not have any rice. Yes. But neither did she. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... This disappearance seems, the disappearance of Leona, seems like it's not really noted or reported until the next day. And yes, uh, Leo was very ill. I kind of wonder if he didn't kind of set some things in motion before the next day, just being a police detective and everything and seeing some, what he thought, suspicious behavior uh, from Pearl. Yeah, well, I, I do have that even though he wasn't feeling well, he was calling around. Mm -hmm. So he had called the school and talked to a nun there. He had called the, the neighbor's parents. Um, so his daughter would often walk to school with Betty, who was the, the neighbor girl. And so he called Betty's parents to find out um, if they knew anything. And uh, Betty had said that she had actually waited for Leona to go to school and she waited as long as she could and Leona never came outside, so Betty had to go to school without her. Hmm. You've got some details that I don't have, so just feel free to pop in whenever. <laughs> Keep an eye out for when I miss something. <laughs> so I, I will throw in one. So about this dinner, uh, one thing we didn't mention was Frank, who lived with them, the brother. So there was an issue between Pearl and Frank. And this this is my style, so I like this a lot. <laughs> Her and Frank got into a, a pissing contest, a nasty argument, whatever. I don't know what the argument was about. Nobody really seems to remember what the argument was about. But then there was a mysterious fire in Frank's bedroom closet <laughs> that torched all of his clothes. Oh, my. And immediately he thinks it's Pearl because it's right after their, their fight. And Pearl's like, that wasn't me. I would never do such a thing. It must have been spontaneous combustion. <laughs> of course. What else could it be? And so ever since that fight, Frank refused to share a meal with Pearl. 
So Frank was not at this dinner at all because he could not stand to sit at the table with her. Would not. And as far as the fight is concerned, I did get a little bit on that. You have the information about what the fight was about? (laughs) Just a little bit. It seems there's two sides here. Pearl said that Frank had threatened to send Leona to reform school, which she didn't want. And so she thus had ordered him to leave the house. It's his house. No, well, it's, I mean... It's kind of his house. It's Leo's house, and Leo's married to her. I mean, we don't know what the problem... It could have been Leo and Frank's house, but everything I saw said that Frank was kind of living there like a border. Oh. So I don't know, but... Uh, and this this will be interesting to you in light of uh, my bonus episode that we recorded just a little while ago. Uh, there were other reports that the conflict was about Frank being out until 3 a.m. with Pearl's sister. Oh! We had a little sister action in uh, my bonus episode that startlingly mirrors this. Get it, Frank? (laughs) So, yeah, that was definitely an interesting uh, kind of event to try to untangle. Yeah, well, she did have three older sisters to choose from. Brown chicken, brown cow. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the police do start searching for Leona. Now, as for theories, there's the idea, of course, of kidnapping. It is 1930. It's the beginning of the big kidnapping spree or kind of maybe a couple years into it. But yeah, this was after Lindbergh, though. Yeah, true. true. And and so people immediately are like uh, kidnapping. And there was even uh, I saw a Leopold and Loeb reference in there, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be. Weird, because Leopold loved Leona. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, like, there was, maybe it was an accident. Of course, accidents happen. There was questioning whether someone might have even taken her as revenge against her father. But the police were like, "Mm, we don't really think it's that one. (laughs) Well, they they did look into, like, who who has he put away? Yeah, you've got to. Yeah, absolutely. And then there is also, I mean, she's she's kind of like a, a preteen girl. Her mother has died. She her whole life has been uprooted several times over at this point. Maybe she just ran away. Maybe she's playing hooky. Maybe she's just hiding out somewhere to just not do all these things. Yeah, yeah. You even had suicide brought up as one possibility. Yeah. Well, one of the big ones that I saw that that I thought was very like on track for this age group is she hated her school uniform. And so somebody's like maybe she's just hiding so she doesn't have to wear the damn uniform anymore. <laughs> that is a very 10-year-old thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to wear the Catholic uniform. No. I hate the skirt. It's so itchy. The skirt is itchy. I've it never is. even worn one and I can imagine. <laughs> the the my very first Catholic school skirt was made of wool. And it was itchy as hell, and you had to wear it in the wintertime. And so, like, the wind would blow your skirt up, so you're freezing anyway, and and then you're flashing people, and you're also itchy. So it (laughs) does all the bad things. None of the good. (laughs) So uh, they search and they search, and uh, they do find on October 17th, 1930, uh, her body in a city park. Her body was found in a lake in the park in Denver. Her father was actually still in the hospital at the time, and they actually held off on telling him the news. Um, they were a little nervous about how that would how that would go uh, because his condition was still so uh, precarious. They said. Now the autopsy found a blunt force trauma to the back of the head, but that wasn't the cause of death. The cause of death was either suffocation or drowning. The autopsy also found ground glass in the stomach and intestines. Um, Physicians said the slain girl's body had enough glass in the viscera to have caused death within five or six hours. So they're starting to ask some questions, and they go and they search the O'Loughlin home, and they ask some of the neighbors, and they find out that, quote, after Leo O'Loughlin had been stricken with sudden illness and Leona had disappeared, The two family pets fed scraps from Tuesday evening's meal were found dead. Not happy with that. Obviously, also, there's a young girl dead. That's that's bad, too. Also bad. Also bad. But when pets, when pets, ah, 
I just, I love my cats so much. <laughs> I'm becoming a crazy cat lady about my damn cats. Well, I hate to break it to you. There are more pets involved. Oh, really? There are. Pearl's sister, Mary Bell, also came forward, and Pearl had brought her over food scraps for her animals. Oh, my God. A cat and a dog. Ugh. So, uh, the cat had fallen into convulsions and died the day they ate the scraps, and the dog was sick for two days until the dog passed away as well. Oh, my gosh. Oh, bitch. Yeah, right? <sighs> Children and animals. Fuck this lady. They did, uh, for a moment, look in a different direction. There was a man arrested as a suspect. Uh, quote, he was taken into custody when neighbors reported he attempted to lure one or two girls into his automobile last week. End quote. But then they pretty much released him because there was a lot of inform information much of it very interesting coming forward. But there was actually, there was another guy they got too. Oh, okay. So there was a National Guardsman who swore up and down when Leona was still missing that he had seen her bound and gagged in the back of a gray Ford Roadster near Golden, Colorado. This car had Arizona plates, was driven by a male about 23 years old, six feet tall, weighing 135 pounds. Skinny motherfucker. Wow, Yeah. With dark hair and a swarthy complexion. So they did track this guy down, and the child that was seen in his backseat was actually a pile of suitcases with a white sweater thrown on top. Oh, my God. <laughs> but they did. I, I imagine how scared that guy was. <laughs> God, yeah, that's got to be terrifying. Find out it's just your damn suitcases. So another piece of information that came forward was from Dennis, Leona's grandfather, Leo's father. And uh, so he told police that about six weeks before all this happened, the family had come over to his house for a meal. Afterwards, he found ground glass in the sugar bowl. So he, this is, uh, this is interesting. So it was August 27th, and uh, after the party had left, he discovered small particles of glass in his sugar bowl. Thinking at first the foreign substance in the bowl was sand, he later examined it minutely, poured off the water, and found, he said, small bits of glass. The evidence he kept in the pantry of his home until after Leona's murder, and then turned over to Denver police. So this guy is so smart. So he he first tried to dissolve it in warm water, and then he realized that not all of it was dissolving. And, and then he was, like, doing experiments to find out what the hell yeah. happened to his sugar. The only thing is... And I know it wasn't a whole lot to go on, but if he'd come for forward sooner, you know? Well, he, he probably wasn't even thinking that someone in his own family would do that to him. Oh, no. He thought it was Pearl. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was like, I think Pearl did this. But maybe he didn't expect her to do that to her own family. Especially because she really, like, seemed to like Leona or even love her. You know, not wanting her to go to reform school, wanting custody of her. Or maybe the custody thing was just a gambit to keep Leo from leaving her. I don't know. I, I think it was probably a gambit. Yeah. So, uh, also, Leo is tested in the hospital, and in his stomach they find ground glass. So now they're looking more closely at the people around Leo and Leona, and especially, of course, Pearl. And they're also looking at Frank a little bit. They brought Pearl in for interrogation. This was hours, days on end. Um, they, she tells them that Frank had something to do with it, but won't elaborate on that. And uh, she also, at one point, she implicated three people, but didn't give their names. They took her to see Leona's body in her little coffin. Still, she did not crack. She did lean down to kiss Leona's face. Uh, Leo, out of the hospital and, uh, into the interrogation room. He's part of the interrogation for a few hours, uh, and did not hold back. It's called a dramatic two-hour inquisition. And, uh, this was at his demand. Quote, when he was told of Leona's death, he insisted upon being allowed to go to police headquarters to see if he could persuade his wife to tell him all she knew of the girl's disappearance. But Mrs. O'Laughlin answered her husband as she had answered other detectives by protesting her innocence again and again. So they're like, all right, dead body of your stepdaughter doesn't crack you. 
husband asking you, you know, did you kill his daughter and, and why and how? Doesn't crack ya. Uh, how about this bloody towel and tire iron we found in your car? What about that, hmm? The, uh, the stained iron had fluff from Leona's green wool tam shanter sticking to it. Or at least that was suspected. They couldn't verify that it was the same fiber. Uh, Mrs. O'Laughlin could not help the police with any explanation. The last time she had used the car, she said, was to drive to a hairdresser's sat Tuesday evening. And she said that the towel was from Douglas having a bloody nose. One uh, modern source I want to note did say that uh, at this point, blood typing was not invented. But I wanted to correct that because in 1900, 30 years before this, Carl Landsteiner uh, did invent blood typing. And exactly one week after Pearl was charged with murder, he got the Nobel Prize for medicine. Oh. Yeah. I was like, I know that was early in 19... I know that was in 1900. And then I went to Google it and I found, like, Nobel Prize 1930. I was like, okay, well, now I have to know what date. And it was the end of October. Yeah. <laughs> well, that tire iron um, had some blonde hairs stuck to it as also well. That, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, and the, it was consistent as far as they could tell with the injuries on Leona's head. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, looking bad for her. And she does kind of confess. Um, she broke down and she said, you know, okay, I'll take the blame for the whole thing. Uh, it was, she said, quote, I'm the one that has to suffer. But thanks to her attorney, uh, she did not sign the confession. That's going to be more important than you might expect. Mm-hmm. So, um, she, one thing I found really interesting was that the newspaper said, and this was on October 23rd, Mrs. Pearl O'Laughlin, stepmother of 10-year-old Leona O'Laughlin, found dead in a city park lake, today obtained a court order permitting her to confer with counsel. A few hours after... Bert Clark, detective captain, said she had assumed responsibility for the slaying. So she takes responsibility for it. She doesn't sign the confession, and then she gets a lawyer. But it's just interesting to me that back then you might need a court order in order for you to have access to a lawyer. Yeah. Well, this woman has balls of steel, though. So you, you just mentioned Captain Clark. Well, Pearl did have a little chat with, with uh, Captain Clark. While she was being held in a cell, she, <laughs> sorry, she started demanding of him, specifically to Captain mm-hmm. Clark, I want the pink dress that goes with the pink coat I wore when I came down here. I want some silk nightgowns because I could never get used to the one furnished by the city. Above all, I want my vanity case with powder, rouge, mascara, and lipstick. You'll find it in the upper drawer of the dresser in my room at home. <laughs> She is in a cell talking to the captain of police. And this is what she's saying. Basically treating him like a servant. Yeah, and also like, do you not understand you're arrested? Yeah, do you not know the position you're in right now? Because it seems like maybe you don't. I need some silk nightgowns. Mm -hmm. I need my makeup. Bring my perfume. Like, (laughs) balls. Balls on this lady. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What they can't figure out is why. You know, they have um, the theory that of the how and the where and everything. So the theory went that Pearl fed Leona the rice with the ground glass, but then got frustrated and patient when Leona continued to live. Uh, so she took her to the lake, bashed her in the head, and tossed the body into the water. So they have that, but they can't figure out why. So the main idea they have for motive is that she was kind of trying to kill Leo for the life insurance and also Leona as well. Um, He had a policy for $3,200. That would be uh, when received as compensation about $192,000 today. And he had just switched it up, making Leona the beneficiary when previously it had been Pearl. So killing them both would be the only way for her to get that money. Yeah, you got to get it back to you. And especially if Pearl dies first and then Leo, then it's definitely coming to you. You mean if Leona dies first. Oh, sorry. I just want (laughs) Pearl to die. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
So also, um, as for why she might have done the ground glass thing with her father-in-law, Dennis was said to be worth about 35000 which is $2.1 today. So that's, uh, that's something. If he dies, it goes to Leo, and then we kill Leona and Leo, and we get all that money. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So Pearl and Frank both end up with first-degree murder charges, and you might be surprised to find out Leo was really on board with this and pretty much requested it because he believed his brother was innocent and wants him to be able to clear his name through the court system. Uh, Leo said it was the quickest way to clear his name, and the district attorney said that the case against Frank O'Loughlin was exceedingly weak. Mm -hmm. So they're like, no, go ahead and charge him, and uh, we'll just get this all cleared right up. Now, Pearl's trial was scheduled first, and this was, of course, the big event of the season. Quote, scores of thrill-seekers stormed the court for admittance. Women, old and young, outnumbered men six to one. Only 250 early arrivals were admitted. Police restrained the crowds, both inside and outside the court building. Uh, Leo did testify at her trial. He said that she had once threatened to drown her son and kill herself the year before. And he also told the jurors that it was his idea for the police to check the lake where they found Leona because it was the one where Pearl taught her to swim. Oh, no. I know, I know. That detail knocked me off my feet. I hate it. I hate it. So as far as Leo testifying against his wife, that was also another, like, kind of interesting law moment. Uh, the procedure has no direct parallel in Colorado law, but a recent ruling of the Colorado Supreme Court will be cited to enable Leo O'Loughlin to take the stand in the trial of his wife. The state based its right to call O'Loughlin to the stand upon a recent decision of the Colorado Supreme Court in a statutory case in which the wife of the defendant was allowed to testify concerning the criminal assault upon her daughter. So you must imagine she was testifying against her husband yes. who had harmed her daughter. So, um... Lots of expert testimony uh, regarding the blood evidence, the ground glass. Did you catch that the city toxicologist is a lady toxicologist? I did not. Dr. Frances McConnell. She showed um, microscopic photographs to the jury of the numerous particles of ground glass found in Leona's stomach. And so uh, they have the coroner's physician who, uh, he's the one who did the autopsy. He testified she died either from drowning, smothering, chloroforming, beating, or from the effects of an adult sitting on her chest. Um, but he did not believe that the broken glass had caused her death. She, Pearl attempts some alibis in court. Uh, everything falls apart. She tries, go ahead. I was gonna say, Pearl was loving Loving the attention, though. Like, absolutely loving it. She's flashing smiles. Quote, go ahead, boys. Take my picture if you want to. <laughs> she would sit down at the defense table and pull her skirt up so that it was above her knees. <gasps> Tramp! So that she could uh, swing her shapely legs at the jurors <laughs> oh to distract them. And I don't know if anyone has ever seen, what was it called, like, Serial Mom? From, like, way back when, where the mom was, like, like a, a crunchy mom, but then was actually a serial killer. <laughs> it was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Wonder why. But um, <laughs> she did this thing with the jurors where she kept opening and closing her legs in a skirt to distract them and, and ended up, like, getting that somebody to fuck up. And so that's all I picture is her just, like, opening and closing her legs. <laughs> Don't pay attention to that evidence. <laughs> Look at these gams. <laughs> My shapely gams. <laughs> so uh, she, yeah, she does try some alibis. She says, oh, I was at my hairdresser's house. But her hairdresser is like, nope, she came by just a few minutes or around 1030. That's it. And she wasn't wearing stockings for some reason. And she just looked like a hot mess. So. Which is very uncharacteristic for her. Yeah, she's, she's a put together lady. And then 
she tries to say, well, I took a friend to the doctor the night that Leona went missing. And the friend is like, I, I haven't seen her in weeks. Don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Full of shit she is. She's just going to keep saying people until somebody's like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was with her. Now, the confession that we mentioned, the one that she didn't sign, they did not allow the confession in. Colorado at the time required um, for the death penalty to be a possibility, either a signed confession or an eyewitness to the murder. Signed confession mm -hmm. being very, very important there. So uh, they could not uh, include the death penalty as a possibility and the confession was not allowed in as well. Yeah, even with quotes like, when you get ready to hang me, I'll tell a priest everything. She said that, but didn't sign it, so they couldn't use it. Wow, that's a line. Holy shit. So the jury deliberates. Do you know how long they deliberated? I do, so I can't play the guessing game. No guessing game, that's okay. An hour and 36 minutes. Oh, well, you have more specific than I do. I just had two hours, so somebody rounded up somewhere, <laughs> and then I found it. She is found guilty and sentenced to 62 years to life. Don't get your hopes up. No, and it was supposed to be hard labor, too. Yeah, none of that. The very next day, Leo, understandably, files for divorce. Good job, Leo. Frank's charges were dropped. Um, he passed away in 1946, about 16 years after this, at age 55. Leo did remarry. But did he? So th oh. this is a question I had. Because I was curious. I found several sources that said he did. Mm -hmm. Then I found several sources that said he did not. Oh. So I had that he had made a full recovery. He was single, ruggedly handsome detective. <laughs> he was getting swarmed by all these single ladies because he was, he was a catch. And women would write him letters offering to replace the very disappointing Pearl. <laughs> and Leo actually told an interviewer that he was all through with marriage. Quote, since my last experience, I am no longer matrimonially inclined. <laughs> I cannot blame him. And so I went onto like an ancestry website. Mm-hmm. And it had his marriages listed, and there was no third marriage. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I didn't really see any specifics as to who he remarried to or what happened there. Just that um, he remarried, divorced again, and then died in 1956. So 26 years between Pearl's shenanigans and bullshit and his death, he could have changed his mind somewhere in there. He could have married, and I, I think it came from his obituary. So whoever mm. wrote his obituary had put that he had married and divorced, and that's where that came from. And so, like, I understand a lot of people being like, well, that's probably legit. But nobody can tell me who he got married to, and so I'm going to say maybe he didn't. Yeah, maybe he didn't. <laughs> it's, it's entirely possible. And uh, one of my sources, Captured and Exposed, points out that Leo's dad died in 1936. So uh, if she just waited six years, Pearl could have gotten her hands on, on that money. Mm -hmm. In 1950, she told her version of events to a newspaper, gave them an exclusive interview. Basically, what she said was that Leona had accidentally taken some of Leo's sedatives Pearl tried to get her to a doctor, but Leona died in the car on the way. So Pearl freaked out and tried to hide the whole thing by placing the body in the lake. <laughs> a, f a few things missing from that were how did the ground glass get in her stomach? And the head injury. Yeah, where did that come from? And why was she in her school uniform? Why was your tire iron bloody and it had hair on it? So some, some questions there, yeah. Now... She started trying to get parole, and on her third try, she was successful. She was very much supported by the warden. Um, he wanted her... <laughs> yeah, he wanted her. He wanted her as his housekeeper. Uh -huh. She was actually working, it said, um, as a nursemaid, I think they said. Hang on a second. Yeah, he was, uh, he was helping... She was helping to take care of his kids. So kind of doing like a nanny type thing. Yeah, he really uh, believed that she should 
she should be freed, uh, which is something. So, yeah, working as a nursemaid, uh, Mrs. O'Laughlin has been urged by friends and relatives to tell her story so she could apply for a commutation of her life sentence. Yeah, so she was working as a governess for his children and a housekeeper. And then when she was released, she, w she wanted to continue to work for him as a housekeeper. Amber's making quotes, and now she's making signals. Blowjob face. <laughs> housekeeper. So, but the thing is, is that the parole board was like, mm, I don't think so on this idea. And she ended up going to um, San Diego instead, where she worked as a housekeeper. And give me one second, my thing just, nope, just, just. Mm. Where she unfortunately got to live quite a long life. And she lived till 1987, passing away at the ripe age of 88 years old. Yeah, she, she lasted a long while. She certainly did. Um, longer <laughs> than most of the people around her that she harmed during their lives. And that is unfortunate. It is unfortunate, yes. Um, and only a small measure of justice, I think. She was only in for 19 years. Yeah, you know? that's, that's not... And especially when she was originally sentenced to 62 to life, it's like, what, what's the, even the point? Like, I know sentences are, are very rarely as long as they're supposed to be unless it's actually a life sentence. But still, it just seems very much like something kind of fell by the wayside there. Uh, I, I found it interesting that find a grave, as far as location of her grave, says buried or lost at sea. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm not even sad about it. I couldn't find any articles about her death. Um, so there's that, but... So yeah, that is the uh, tale of Pearl O'Laughlin and Leo O'Laughlin and poor Leona O'Laughlin. Well, so one little shred of, of light, I guess. So Douglas, the young son who, who was around for this whole thing, uh, he did go on to have a pretty normal life. He went and got married to Dolly Lorraine Swanby in 1947 they lived in Oregon. They had one son, and then they moved to uh, Washington at one point. He did join the military and passed away in Oregon at the age of 74. So he at least had, like, a, a normal, quiet life. Yeah. So at least there's hooray for that. Yes, hooray for that. It, it's good to be able to find something to say hooray for. Uh, so is it in bad taste if, uh, my old-timey recipe is rice? Of course not. <laughs> and, and in bad taste, yes, I, I know. Is it salted with glass? Um, not in the original recipe, but I guess you can alter it as needed. Make sure you put in the comments <laughs> that you made the recipe, but you changed it by adding ground glass and you're very dissatisfied. Well, so here's a fun fact for you, because I don't know why I looked this up, but it's me. And so um, ground glass, when you grind it fine enough that it's not going to be noticeable, it is not that harmful to you. So you have to leave it coarse enough that it could cut the shit out of your mouth so that it could also cut the shit out of your insides. Ah. And all I can think in my head is, do these people not chew? <laughs> it is a very good question. Because even with rice, I chew rice. Mm -hmm. And if I chewed rice with glass, I mean, th think about it when you're eating, like, seafood. You can feel that sand immediately in your mouth. Oh, I hate that. But you can feel it. Yeah. They felt the glass and ate it anyway. That disturbs me on a whole new level. I just don't know if she <coughs> left it coarse enough to... To cause the damage that it did, well, though. yeah. It had to be coarse enough that they felt it at least in, in some regard in their mouth. Maybe they just thought it was like a new spice or she told them it was a new spice mm. or something like that. Or it'd be sandy for whatever fucking Ugh. reason. I don't know. But, like, this blows my mind because to do the level of damage that it did, it had to be coarse enough that they could feel it in their mouth. And they... That's horrifying. ...ate it anyway. Ugh. Also, it's not really a successful way to kill people. I also looked that up. <laughs> not successful at all. Don't recommend. 
Because most of the time they're going to notice it in their mouth before it ever causes them any damage. Yeah, there's a reason that we haven't really had very many cases with this. And it's because the most prominent one that I can remember was uh, the Christopher Pike book I read in, in the 90s. So yeah. <laughs> I remember it being used as a plot device. I'm pretty sure it was Christopher Pike. It doesn't seem really R.L. Stein style. Um, there are better ways to, to kill people, though. Just saying. Just, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, tell me the recipe for rice. Okay. It was hard to find a really interesting one because it's rice. It is rice. <laughs> but um, I've got rice Italian fashion, Ooh. which is going to be funny in a moment. Is there sausage? Um, there's not. There's bacon. I'm okay with that. So uh, chopped onion, six slices diced bacon, tablespoon butter, cup uncooked rice, two cups consomme, and a cup diced American cheese. Ew. It's not Italian fashion if you're using American cheese. And American cheese is not cheese. Yeah. And, well, I don't know if it maybe was more cheese back then, or maybe it was even worse. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to go with probably worse. So, and salt, pepper, and paprika. Uh, the, the person publishing this says, the author of this recipe tells me it goes nicely with plain boiled beef served with grated horseradish. That seems to me rather like gilding the lily because the correct combination of proteins, fats, and starches are in the rice recipe. It is preferable to substitute for the meat a leafy cooked vegetable. So, like, I guess some spinach. Plain boiled beef. Oh, yes, also that. Yum. Yeah, yeah. So, what are we going to do for this recipe? We are going to cook the chopped onion, diced bacon, and butter together until the onion is brown. Why do we even need the butter? Because butter makes everything better. That is true. Wash and drain a cup of rice. Add to the cooked onion and stir for a few minutes to crisp and season. Pour in the consomme, or beef broth, Cover and steam until the rice kernels are cooked, each grain fluffy and separate. Um, and then it goes on to some details of how you make sure of that. Uh, just before seasoning, just before serving, season the rice and fold in the cup of diced cheese. Stir and lift the rice with two forks until the cheese has men melted, then serve. It was the most interesting rice recipe I could find, and it also had the added bonus of being, like, you say Italian fashion, and then, like, five ingredients down is American cheese. Yeah, it's almost more like just put the the ground beef in it too and then call it cheeseburger rice. There you go. I like it. it sounds really good, actually. <laughs> Kimber's been making me hungry today. So that is my old-timey recipe. It is, in fact, from 1930, the same year. So who knows if she served them rice Italian fashion. Oh, you know what? And maybe that's why they didn't notice. Because they're just like, why is there so much weird <laughs> shit in this rice? <laughs> Is there cheese and bacon? I mean, but bacon, you know. But bacon. But bacon. So um, that is our episode. Uh, Amber, what you doing this week? I am um, doing some Easter stuff. Because yeah. I am slacking, and so I have to uh, do all the Easter stuff I have not done. And also planting. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. I am uh, turning 41. Continuing my journey into being an old, it's okay. Uh, I'm I'm also turning forty one elsewhere, uh, so <laughs> we're we're going uh, away for. That sounded so weird. <laughs> I'm turning forty one elsewhere. Elsewhere, <laughs> I'm gonna take my ball and go home, Johnstown, except not home. Um, so yeah, we're going away for a couple of days. I've got a massage scheduled. I'm not sure how well I'm gonna do with traveling going on the train so that's good because I can get up and move around um well and a lot of trains too have the um electrical outlets now yeah yeah we're, we're planning on bringing our laptops and also if there's enough outlets I might maybe like plug in my heating pad or something that's what I was thinking yeah so and I have a new TENS unit that is pretty awesome our friend Ryan uh directed me to that after he got his and so yeah I'm i I'm probably going to be down and out for a couple days. It's kind of just the thing that you accept, you know, um, when you're dealing with stuff like this. Because you're like, okay, well, I can I can go and travel and do this thing. But after that, it's going to suck. <laughs> I'm going to be laid up for a little while. I'm going to be taking lots of baths. We did make sure to get a place with a bath. So a nice bathtub so I can... Uh, Relax. Yes, yes. Um, and use that heat. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to uh, to go away. I'm a little nervous about traveling and how painful it might be, but I'm just gonna bring a lot of things to distract myself with. 
that's all you can do. I hope you have an awesome trip. Thank you. I'm very excited. And an awesome birthday, even though you're not going to be here to spend it with me. I know. I'm sorry. I'll be here next weekend. <laughs> it's a Tuesday night. <laughs> you I'll bring you some nachos. <laughs> oh, my God. She was telling me about these nachos earlier, and I, I do need some. I do need some. I, w- yeah. I will bring you some because okay. I, I have uh, lots of Awesome. I have a problem is what I have. <laughs> Nacho problem. <laughs> Nacho problem. Oh, episode title. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is our episode. Oh, and uh, welcome to new patron, Tiffany Waits. Hey, Tiffany. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to the Patreon. Hope you're enjoying all those bonus episodes. And, um, yeah, that's everything we have for this week. And this is my uh, my last episode as a 40-year-old, so. Ray! <laughs> oh, and don't forget to come and check out our social media over on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where uh, I've been putting up lots of old-timey newspaper articles, some good, funny stuff there, some intriguing stuff. It's it's You find all sorts of things in the newspapers. The newspapers are fantastic. <laughs> they are amazing. So, all right. That is everything. And don't... Try to kill people in a stupid way. Mm. Don't eat crunchy rice. There you go. There you go. Words to live by. Uh, get it on a t-shirt. And bye. Bye. Sources. sources. I was staring at them. I was like, don't forget sources. Don't forget sources. And then I'm like, and we're done. And goodbye. And bye. Uh, so my sources are Shane Davidson on Captured and Exposed. James Ray on Monsters and Critics. Shraman Mitra on The Cinemaholic, The Sandusky Register, The Buffalo Times, Daily News, Lincoln Journal Star, Fort Collins Courier, The Weekly Courier, and The Rocky Mountain News. Those are from newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia, as well as from Colorado's uh, digital newspaper repository. My sources from this were Psycho USA by Harold Schechter. Thank you, friend of the show, Paul. Thank you, Paul. New York Daily News by Mara Bobson. Did not know that my queen had also written about this when I chose it. I avoided that article because she's your queen. I, I love her. Uh, Captured and Exposed by Shane Davidson and FamilySearch.com, which I actually found some uh, some great little family tree information that I fell down a rabbit hole for. Uh, fun fact for you that I did not include in the show because it has nothing to do with anything. <coughs> Let me die a little bit. Leo's first wife. Was also married twice. Oh. She had another daughter to her first husband. Oh, my. Who was not involved in any of this and, and got to live, <laughs> and she matters not, but I just thought that was fun, so I wanted to throw that in there. So, uh, Maud was her name, the first wife, and Maud actually had a, another daughter. I didn't even realize that. Hmm. Interesting find. Yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole.